the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. My name is Mark, and I'm the pastor of the Congregation of St. Thomas the Doubter, an independent ecumenical congregation for all people that embraces holy doubt, the importance of grace, and the power of solidarity in community. You can find out more about our congregation online at www.stthomascongregation.org. This podcast offers the scripture lessons and sermons from our Sunday evening services. In the future, it may also be a place for conversation and discussion on various issues of religion and faith. This is episode 6, and is from the service for March 19, 2023, the fourth Sunday in Lent. Scripture lessons are from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1-13, through 13, and the Gospel of John chapter 9, verses 1-41. through 41. The sermon is entitled, In Plain Sight. We hope you enjoy the episode. Our scripture lessons for tonight come from the book of the prophet Samuel, chapter one, or sorry, book one of the, of the, of, sorry, chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, verses 1 through 13, and then from the gospel according to John. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely, The Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. A reading from the ninth chapter of the Gospel according to John, verses 1 through 41. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, 
this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered him, neither this man nor his parents. He was born blind so that, his, that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back, able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It's him. Others were saying, No, but it's someone like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man isn't from God, for he doesn't observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened, he said. He's a prophet. The Jews didn't believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man's a sinner. He answered, I don't know whether he's a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he say to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, here's an astonishing thing. You don't know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You've seen him, 
and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sinned. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this story from John is one of the more iconic stories from John, and it's full of all kinds of typical John-type stuff. It's the story of the healing of the blind man, and the text has a number of occasions to do things that John likes to do. (laughs) One, it sets up a a conflict with the Pharisees and with the Jewish leadership, um, which is usually identified by the term the Jews in the text. It can't be all Jews. That would include Jesus, obviously. So John often picks these little fights with the Jewish leadership. And there's a couple of anachronistic things in there about anyone who confesses Jesus as the Messiah would be thrown out of the synagogue. That would not happen until some decades later, likely during the time that John was writing his gospel. And so there's a a number of different things happening in the text. He's highlighting the Jewish leadership's failings, their inability to understand who Jesus is, even though this poor formerly blind beggar gets it, you know, the sort of, well, he clearly did something that no one has ever done before. Clearly, he's working with God. And there's also the interesting question of, of why was this person born blind? This is actually an interesting topic. Uh, the idea that it was because of this man's sins or his parents' sins that he was born blind. That's what the disciples are asking, right? The disciples just assume that anyone who is experiencing some sort of bad situation has deserved it in some way, right? And Jesus puts that to rest. He says, it's not for any of those reasons. Here instead, it's an opportunity to see the glory of God. And so it's also challenging this very common first century worldview that those who were rich and those who were, you know, materially set and healthy had somehow been blessed by God because they deserved it. And those who were poor and those who were suffering or unwell had somehow lacked that blessing and likewise deserved it. Jesus puts that all to rest. But here we have this this fascinating story in which Jesus heals a man, not who had lost sight. This has happened in other um, in other stories, um, but who had been born blind, who had never seen. And he does so with an interesting method. He makes mud out of his spit um, and puts it on the man's eyes, and he tells him to wash it off, and he does, and he can see. And this is all framed by Jesus's statements that he has come into the world to help those who cannot see to see and to make blind those who can. This also is a very common John kind of thing to say. But the story also begins with Jesus's statement that he is the light of the world. And so long as he is in the world, there's no night. 
but that the night is coming soon. Light is an interesting concept because it's something we take for granted without really ever thinking about it. As one commentator noted, there's we don't actually see light. We don't see the beams of light streaming down from the sun or reflecting off of, I'm assuming that's Jupiter up there. There's We don't see the light. We see the objects that the light illuminates, right? The light bounces off those objects and sends those signals to our eyes. Except that when that happens, all we're really seeing is the light. We're not actually seeing the object. We're seeing that reflected light off of the object that lands in our eyes. This is important because it helps us to understand what it means when we talk about Jesus as the light of the world or having brought light into the world. What it means is that it Jesus then becomes the medium through which we encounter the world. It's not as obvious, right? It's not, it's the same as light. It's kind of transparent to us until it encounters something and is reflected back to us. In the same way, love operates like light. For example, you can't see love. You can't measure it. You can't just sort of, you, it's not quantifiable. But when we behold our beloved, when we behold those whom we love, we see them in the light of that love. But in reality, all we're really seeing is the love. We're not really seeing our beloved as they are. That would just, that kind of that would make love a lot harder in some cases. We're seeing because we are seeing that person under the lens of love, and it helps us to see that person as a beloved rather than just simply as some object in the world. And that's how God's light works. It's, it's unobserved by us until it hits some object and is reflected to us, in which case we see that object, but through the light of God. See, that's what Jesus is talking about when he's criticizing the leadership for saying that they see, but remaining blind, right? Because he's saying, you believe that you see, you believe that you understand, you believe that you are perceiving the world correctly, but you are not seeing it in God's light. Right? You are assuming this man is a sinner because he was born blind, and therefore you refuse to see what God has just done in him. You don't see, even though your eyes are opened. This man, on the other hand, sees even though his eyes had been closed. We get something of that too in the first Samuel story. Because here, the context of the story is Saul has kind of fallen out of favor with God. Saul, the first king of united Israel, has clearly kind of lost God's approval. And so the, the, the search is on for who is going to be the new king. 
And Samuel is told that it will be one of the sons of Jesse. Go out and find the son. And so he goes out and, of course, he looks at all the, the, the tall, strapping young men and says, well, this clearly must be who God wants. And God's like, nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. And they go through seven sons, right? Seven, nice biblical number. That means a complete amount, right? They go through the whole set of seven and they're like, no, none of these is the one we're looking for. And God prefaces all of this by saying, stop looking on these people the way human beings look upon people. They judge by the outside. Judge by the inside. See through the externality to the quality, to the character of the person. And that is the eighth son out there tending the sheep. The one you didn't even think to bring in to, to parade in the sort of beauty pageant here. That's what the world looks like when we allow ourselves to see by the light of God. That's what the world is meant to be seen as, right? The world that we are used to is a world of competition, of us and them, of violence, of hatred, of selfish self-interest, of tribalism, of all these different things, because we see one another through the lens of scarcity, com competition, threat to our, you know, our, our ways of life, whatever it is you want to imagine. We see each other in a particular way. And what God is calling us to do is to see one another as God sees us, which is beloved children of God. See, that's our blindness. It has nothing to do with how well our eyes work. It has to do with our spiritual blindness, our inability to allow the light of God to shine into the world, to see the world in a new way. That's what Jesus means when he tells the Pharisees that they can't actually see. Surely we're not blind, they say. He says, well, if you said we were blind, then you could see. But the fact that you say we can see means you're blind. It's an interesting concept that philosophers have wrestled with. The idea that when you think you know what God is, you are wrong. <laughs> Right? Anytime you say, well, I've got it worked out. God is, that's wrong. Whatever your answer you're about to say, you're wrong. Because you think now you understand. It's only when you claim that you don't understand that you begin to. It's only when you say, I'm not sure what this God is. I can't understand what God is, that you begin to actually understand what God is paradoxically. But the moment you try to put that pen to paper and define it, it's lost. When we admit our humility, when we admit that we are not the sources of the light, when we admit that God's light shines a different way of looking on the world, then we begin to see. When we acknowledge our blindness, acknowledge that we are unable to perceive the world as God would have us perceive it, is when we begin to do so. Right now, our world is very often in this kind of darkness. There's a lot more making God in the image of man than there is the other way around happening out there. 
There's a lot more associating our petty grievances with divine will. There's a lot more of us casting about in the darkness and pretending that we are seeing. God's light calls us to re-envision the world, not as a world in which we're in competition with each other for meager resources, but a world in which we have an abundance that are, is meant to be shared with all humanity, a world in which we need not see each other through the lenses of our difference, but see each other through the lens of our common humanity in a beautiful array of diversity, a lens in which we need not see one another as a threat, but see each other as fellow travelers along the same road of learning and growing and exploring. These are two difficult passages. They're long, as you may have noticed. We read through that whole chapter of John's gospel. But we read it because the whole thing has something to tell us, that Christ is the light of the world. If only we would open our eyes to see it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. For more information about the podcast and our congregation, visit www.stthomascongregation.org. Thanks again, and we hope you will join us again soon.